0: Today's scripture reading is taken from Genesis, chapter 49, verses 29 to 33, and chapter 50, verses 15 to 26. Okay, You can pick up the Bible if you don't have at the pew and turn to page 40. Okay. I will be reading from the English Standard Version. Okay. Genesis 49. Verse 29. Uh, Then he commanded them and said to them, I am to be gathered to my people. Buried me with my fathers in the cave that is in the field of Hebron the Hittite, in the cave that is in the field at Magdila, to the east of Mamre in the land of Canaan, which Abraham bought with the field from Ephron the Hittite, to possess as a burying place there they buried abraham and sarah his wife there they buried isaac and rebecca his wife and there i buried leah the field and the cave that is in it were bought from the hittites when jacob finished commanding his sons he drew up his feet into the bed and breathed his lust and was gathered to his people okay. chapter 50 verse 15. When Joseph's brothers saw that their father was dead, they said, It may be that Joseph will, be, will hate us and pay us back for all the evil that we did to him. So they sent a message to Joseph saying, Your father gave this command before he died. Say to Joseph, Please forgive the transgressions of your brothers and your sins, because they did evil to you. And now, please forgive the transgressions of the servants of the God of your father. Joseph wept when they spoke to him. His brother also came and fell down before him and said, Behold, we are your servants. But Joseph said to them, Do not fear, for I am in the place of God. As for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good to bring it about about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. So do not fear. I will provide for you and your little ones. Thus he comforted them and spoke kindly to them. Verse 22. So Joseph remained in Egypt, he and his father's house. Joseph lived 110 years, and Joseph saw Ephraim's children, of the the third generation. The children also of Micaiah, the son of Manasseh, were counted as Joseph's own. And Joseph said to his brothers, I am about to die, but God will visit you and bring you out of this land to the land that he swore to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. Then Joseph met the sons of Israel, saying, God will surely visit you, and you shall carry up my bones from here. So Joseph died, being 110 years old. They embalmed him, and he was put in a coffin in Egypt. This is God's word, and may God help us to hear his word.
1: Thanks for reading scriptures, Yulan. And as Yulan mentioned, uh, our passage today is found on page 40 of the Pew Bible. So if you don't have a Uh, Bible, feel free to take that. And uh, if you like, take that home with you as well. Uh, We'd love for you to have a chance during the week to just read uh, the Bible for yourself. So do, do feel free to take it along with you if you do not have a copy of the Bible. Well, let me pray for us again as we come to God's Word. Let's all pray together. Dear Father, we pray that the meditation of our hearts and the words of my mouth will be pleasing to you. Help us, we pray. In Jesus' name, Amen. Well, during the school holidays in June, I got to do something that I've been meaning to do with my sons. Uh, we sat down over a weekend and we watched the, all the Star Wars movies. Uh, well, we skipped uh, episodes 1 to 3. Uh, I, I don't think they're worth watching, but anyway, you know, we we'll leave it at that. You know, no offense if you really like those movies. So we watched episodes 4 to 9. Uh, and of course, you know, when you start watching these movies, uh, once you get started, you, you can't stop. right? Because you need to get to the ending. Otherwise, you know, each individual movie doesn't make as much sense. So we sat down and watched the whole saga over the weekend. And, you know, because we like movies to end well. Right? So we watch the whole thing. We want to see how the epic comes to a fitting end. So we like movies that end well. We like stories that end well, where the good guys win and the bad guys lose. And, and Hollywood knows this. I mean, that's why most of the blockbusters that we See, uh, all have happy endings. Very, very few blockbusters don't have happy endings. For example, if you watch Marvel Avengers Infinity War, you you know you have to watch Endgame. Otherwise, the story is not quite complete. We have an instinctive desire to end well. Uh, We are drawn to stories that end well, that have a good resolution. Yet we know from experience that typical... Hollywood endings are actually rare in real life. We experience sorrow, suffering, toil and trouble. And if you haven't already experienced those things, my advice is just live a bit longer. Our restless hearts yearn for rest. And yet, death can often come as an anguishing anticlimax. Some 70 years ago, Welsh poet Dylan Thomas, you know, he shook his fist at death with these angry words written uh, uh, when his father passed away. And he wrote these words. You know, well, this is an excerpt from his poem. It says, Do not go gentle into that good night. Old age should burn and rave at close of day. Rage, rage against the dying of the night. Well, we've spent almost a year in the book of Genesis and we've come to the end of our sermon series today. We know how the story ad- begins. You know, it has a very good beginning. It says God saw everything that he had made and behold, it was very good. You know, God's creation at the beginning was characterized by perfect life, perfect joy, perfect peace, perfect rest. But then we know what happens next. Man and women sin against their creator and everything falls apart. Creation descends into disorder, destruction and death. And after such a glorious beginning, it seems like an anti-climax that Genesis ends with two funerals. Right? You realise at the end of Genesis, we don't get back to the garden. Instead, we have the continuation of death. As Mark mentioned in his sermon last week, it is my task today to bury Jacob and to bury his son, Joseph, as well. And the final verse of Genesis, verse 26 in chapter 50 says, So Joseph died. Being 110 years old, they embalmed him and he was put in a coffin in Egypt. Now isn't it striking that Genesis begins in paradise and it ends in a coffin in Egypt. But Moses who wrote Genesis isn't just pointing us to all doom and gloom, but he wants us to see that even amid these closing scenes of death, there is great expectancy and hope. Genesis doesn't quite have the happy ending that we are accustomed to in Hollywood blockbusters, but Genesis helps us to look forward with faith. You know, it tells us that the story isn't over and there's more to come. And so as we look at the lives of the patriarchs, Abraham, Isaac and Jacob, you know, this is a closing of a chapter in the biblical story. These all lived and died by faith. And they had a taste of God's goodness, but just a taste. They did not live to experience the fullness of God's promises. And they died clinging on to the hope that the best is yet to come. And remember, Genesis was first written for the generation of Israelites who had already been rescued and redeemed from Egypt, but they had not yet entered the Promised Land. They were still in the wilderness. And, and what, do you do to, what do you do for people who still live in the wilderness? You encourage them. You encourage them to press on because they're not there yet. They're not at their destination. You encourage them to press on. You encourage them to trust in God. And this is why Genesis was written for that generation originally. You know, friends, we have this in common with that original generation. We have this in common with the Old Testament patriarchs. Like all these in the past, God is also calling us to live by faith in the wilderness of this world. We're not there yet. We haven't arrived at our destination so if we have believed in Jesus to be our Lord and Saviour, then we have come to know God's generous goodness and grace. And yet, what we have now is merely an appetizer, a small foretaste that wets our appetite for the feast to come. Ah, my friends, we, we need to persevere and get there. So this passage encourages us not to lose heart, but to press on in faith. So what does it mean to end well? Well, the examples of Jacob and Joseph encourage us in two ways. Uh, to trust God, to keep His past promises. To trust God, to fulfill His future purposes. This is how we wait while we live in the wilderness of this world. Trust God to keep His past promises. Trust God to, keep, to fulfill His future Purposes. And those are the two points that we'll be looking at this morning. So number one, trust God to keep his past promises. Our passage begins with Jacob's instructions about his burial. Now this is the second time that Jacob is talking about his funeral arrangements. And he, said, he had said to Joseph earlier in chapter 47, Do not bury me in Egypt, but let me lie with my fathers. Carry me out of Egypt and bury me in their burying place. Well this time here in our passage, Jacob's instructions get more specific. Now he says in verses 29 to 32 of chapter 49, I am to be gathered to my people. Bury me with my fathers in the cave that is in the field of Ephron the Hittite, in the cave that is in the field at Machpelah, to the east of Mamre in the land of Canaan, which Abraham bought with the field from Ephron the Hittite to possess as a burying place. There they buried Abraham and Sarah, his wife, There they buried Isaac and Rebekah, his wife, and there I buried Leah. The field and the cave that is in it were bought from the Hittites. Well, this recalls Abraham's earlier purchase of this piece of land in Canaan, along with the cave for burial. And God had promised to give Abraham and his offspring the land of Canaan. So instead of going back to the land of his ancestors to bury Sarah, Abraham, by faith, bought this piece of land in Canaan because he knew that God wanted him to remain in this land and his descendants would remain in this land. However, you know, at the end of Abraham's life, we, we see that the land promise was not fulfilled. You know, he lived by faith and he died by faith because the promises were yet fulfilled when he passed away. You know, Abraham, you know Hebrews says this of the patriarchs, of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Hebrews 11 says, These all died in faith. You die in faith meaning that you don't receive all that was promised at the time of your death. Hebrews says, These all died in faith, not having received the things promised, but having seen them from afar, greeted them from afar, and having acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on the earth. This is really important because it helps us to understand what faith is. Faith doesn't mean that we expect God to give us what we want when we want it. That's presumption. It's not faith. Biblical faith is trusting in God to provide us with what He views as best according to His Word and for our eternal good. God's promises are grounded in God's truth. He has not promised to fulfill our worldly desires and agendas. He has not promised to make our earthly lives easier. He has not promised to give us earthly success. But He has promised that if we are in Christ, He will make us more like Jesus and raise us up with Him in glory. And God has promised to be with us as we journey through the wilderness of this fallen world. And God has promised to keep us safe until Jesus returns and brings us home to be with Him forever in the new heavens and the new earth. Abraham, Isaac and Jacob did not ultimately hope in a piece of property in Canaan. They understood that the promised land was not the thing, but the promised land pointed forward to something even better. Therefore, they set their hopes, not not in this piece of real estate, but they set their hopes in God and the new creation. And these all lived and died with the hope of heaven. As Hebrews 11 goes on to say this of them, they desire a better country, that is a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared for them a city. Beloved, what are we hoping in? What are we hoping in? Jacob wants to be buried with his grandparents and parents. And this isn't for sentimental reasons. Uh, Otherwise, Jacob would have asked to be buried with his favourite wife, Rachel. Now, Rachel's buried somewhere else. And he wouldn't want to be buried with Leah. You, know, you notice in that short instructions that he gives, you know, he talks about Abraham and Sarah, his wife, Isaac and Rebekah, his wife, and Leah. You know, notice how Jacob can't quite bring himself to call Leah his wife. And yet, he chooses to be buried with Leah. Why? Because he's showing that he shares the faith of his forefathers. This is not sentimental. This is faith in action. He's trusting in God's promises. He shows that he is in this line of faith, men and women who trusted God's promises. You know, this is quite a remarkable turnaround for Jacob. Right? You know, we, we've seen the earlier parts of Genesis. So we've seen the, how Jacob's life develops across Genesis. Jacob didn't start being a man of faith. He wasn't this upstanding man who trusted God always. No, Jacob started out as a self-sufficient schemer, doing whatever it takes to get what he wants. And God had to work in Jacob's life, and it was a tough work that God did in Jacob's life. He brought Jacob through years of trials to teach him not to rely on himself but on God. And only through this wrestling with God did Jacob learn that God, not himself, not his own efforts, but God is the true source of blessing. I think it's remarkable when you look at Jacob's life that his finest hour is his death. This is the culmination of a lifelong struggle of faith. And friends, what is our hope? In life and death, you know, it's often said that the way we end our lives would say a lot about how we have lived it. You know, at the end, can we say with the Apostle Paul, to live is Christ and to die is gain? Oh, life is unpredictable. You know, recently I went for a medical health checkup, you know, one of those full medicals. You know, I, I don't enjoy... Checkups, you know, I always go in with very mixed feelings. And I kind of know that, yes, it's good, I need to go for a checkup to just see if anything's wrong. And yet, there's another part of me that says, I don't want to find out if anything's wrong. <laughs> you know, that those mixed feelings because we wrestle with fear, we, we wrestle with anxiety, with worry. You know, we, we wonder what's going to happen to our families, our health, our jobs, our future. You know, and in these moments of just everyday life, God's God and His promises can seem rather distant in the midst of all our anxieties and worries, especially because we don't see the fullness of God's promises in our lifetime. Instead, what we see day to day is frailty. We see folly. And we see failure. But Jacob's example is an encouraging example that reminds us that God will hold His people fast. We can trust God to keep His promises. He, He will keep us until the end, even through all of our worries, fears, and anxieties. And will we trust Him? And will we give ourselves completely to Him? Will we find in Him rest for our weary hearts? Beloved, I think in fact, we need to realize that God has kept his word, hasn't he? He has kept his word to Abraham, Isaac and Jacob. How? By sending his son. Jesus Christ has come to save sinners. And if we believe in Jesus, then we have eternal life now. We're in a much better place than Jacob was. And we can look forward to Jesus coming back to complete the work that he began in us. So how then should we live now? The scripture calls us to not live for this world. This wilderness is passing away. It will not last. As it says in Colossians 3, set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. Beloved, we need to remember that this is not our best life. It never will be. If we expect this to be our best life, then we are headed for disappointment, for discouragement, perhaps even despair. And if your life is going well now, don't don't become complacent. Instead, remember that this present world is passing away. Remember what Jacob says in Genesis forty-nine: "I will wait for your salvation, O Lord." Why do we wait? because we know that this is not our best life. So we're waiting for something far better. After Jacob's death, the Egyptians wept for him for 70 days as though they were mourning for a king. And this foreshadows how the nations will one day honour a son of Abraham and recognise him as king. So in the first part of chapter fifty. Uh, we read about how uh, Joseph asks for permission from Pharaoh to bury his father in Canaan, to leave Egypt and to bury his father in Canaan. And Pharaoh permits them to leave. And then this great company of people leaves Egypt to bring Jacob's body to Canaan. in, In Genesis 15, God had told Abraham that his descendants would be in Egypt where they would be afflicted for 400 years. But God also promised in Genesis 15 that he would bring Abraham's descendants out of Egypt to the Promised Land. And this vast procession that we read about in the first half of Genesis 50 is a sneak peek. It's a trailer or a preview of what God will do for his people. Imagine you are an Israelite in Moses' day. You, You read about how all these years ago, the, the, the first Israelites left Egypt and went to Canaan. And you, you're meant to take courage. Hey, God has done it before. God has brought Israelites out of Egypt before and He's brought them to Canaan. Well, Yes, this one was temporary. You know, they went back to Egypt after the burial. But, but as an Israelite reading this, you're meant to take courage knowing that, hey, God has done it before and He will surely do it again. And for us... What are we meant to take courage from? God has done it before and what has He done? He sent His Son and His Son has died and His Son is risen from the grave. He has done it before and He will do it again. He will raise us up with Him in glory in time to come. Well, this brings us to our second point. Trust God to fulfill his future purposes. Well, funerals can often surface underlying family tensions. I think those of us uh, who've experienced deaths in the family, I think maybe, maybe we've experienced some of this tension in our families as well. We, we, we see this in Jacob's family too. After he passes away, the, the brothers uh, have, have this difficult relationship with Joseph. Right. They're worried that Joseph will now be free to take revenge on them. Maybe now they think, oh, now that's dead. Maybe Joseph, who has been biding his time, now has a free hand to do to us what he's been meaning to do to us all along. So they send a message to their younger brother, you know, claiming that it came from their father. They, they say to him in verses 16 and 17 in chapter 50, your father gave this command before he died. Say to Joseph, please forgive the transgression of your brothers and their sin, because they did evil to you. And now, please forgive the transgression of the servants of the God of your father. Now, I, I think the brothers probably made this up. I don't think Jacob actually said this, but the brothers were putting words in their father's mouth, and they made this up probably to make their plea to Joseph more persuasive. Well, it has been 17 years since Joseph was reunited with his brothers. And earlier on in in Genesis 45, 17 years ago, Joseph had already assured them that they were forgiven. He said to them, Come near to me, please. Do not be distressed or angry with yourselves because you sold me here, for God sent me before you to preserve life. Joseph at that point had assured them that that he didn't hold a grudge against them. Now, yet, even after all these years, you know, these brothers are still unsure of Joseph's forgiveness. But we know that Joseph forgave his brothers because he trusted in God's goodness and the wisdom of God's plan. I, I think this is a helpful lesson for us to take to heart as we think about forgiving others. You know, beloved, forgiveness flows from our faith, not in, the, not in the other person, but our faith in God. Forgiveness shows that we trust God, that we rest in Him. And we forgive someone not because that person has perfectly earned our forgiveness or earned our trust, but we forgive because we trust that God is able to work all things for our good and for His glory. You know, but the brothers' requests show a lack of assurance. Joseph, who held no grudges against them, is saddened by their doubt. But to their credit, the brothers honestly confess their wrongdoing. You know, this is the first time they've done that. You know, earlier on, in chapter 45, uh, the brothers don't really talk about what they've done to Joseph, to Joseph himself. But here, they're very honest about what they've done to Joseph. They call it, transgression, sin, evil. I think we, we can learn from this what true repentance looks like. True repentance makes no excuses. It doesn't try to self-justify. You know, we call sin, sin. You know, and the first step towards real reconciliation and assurance is true repentance, especially when we have conflict with others. And we first humbly examine ourselves and to consider how we stand before God. And we, we, we examine ourselves to see, is that sin that I need to repent of first before I go to someone else and point out their sin? You know, we first take the log out of our own eye and then we will see clearly to help someone else take the speck out of their eye. True repentance is also shown by a willingness to bear the consequences of sin. The brothers who had sold Joseph into slavery now offer, him, offer themselves to be his servants. Yeah, what, what a dramatic turnaround. But Joseph is not interested in getting even, and he's not even intent on justice at this point. He, he simply shows them grace. He shows them mercy and compassion. Joseph's, Joseph is an example of how we can let go of our grudges, of our unhappiness with other people. How? By resting in God's good and wise sovereignty. You know, if, if we depend on other people for our own sense of well-being and peace, then we we'll probably never have well-being and peace. we we'll always be upset. we we'll always be complaining about something. But if we rest... In God's good purposes, we trust Him. Not, Not because life is easy, but we trust Him that He makes all things good for the sake of His people. Then we enjoy peace and we can forgive. Not because other people are deserving, but because we trust in a good God. And that's what Joseph does. He holds no grudges because he believes that God is able to work all things for good even the sins of his brothers against him. God graciously redeems our suffering. Therefore, we we don't have to take matters into our own hands. We don't have to take revenge. We don't have to be critical. We don't have to complain. We don't have to hold on to bitterness or grudges because we trust God and his goodness. Beloved, if God is our Heavenly Father, we can entrust ourselves to him his loving care. So Joseph assures his brothers with these words, you know, do not fear, for am I in the place of God? You know, you realize that if, if, we, if we refuse to forgive, we are putting ourselves as judge and jury. We are putting ourselves in God's place. But Joseph doesn't do that. He says, am I in the place of God? As for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good. To bring it about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. So do not fear. I will provide for you and your little ones. You know, verse 20, God meant it for good. That, that's a key verse in Genesis. You know, as, as Israel wandered in the wilderness, you know, they, they, they read these words written by Moses And they needed to know that this sovereign God was in control and that He would, without fail, fulfill His good purposes for His people. God meant it for good. And this tells us a crucial truth about God for us today. Whatever happens to us, if we are God's people, while we live in the wilderness of this world, we can trust that God is working for our good. Whatever suffering we endure, Whatever sin that we endure, we can trust that God is working for the good of his people. How can we be sure of this? We simply have to look back to the cross of Christ. Romans 8, he who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Like Joseph, we can reflect God's lavish grace by speaking words of kindness to others, even to those who have hurt us. In fact, this is what it means to wait for God's salvation in the wilderness of this world. We trust Him and we love those around us. We forgive those around us. We reflect God's character to those around us. It was our sins that nailed Christ to the cross And if God has forgiven us our sins, and beloved, shouldn't we forgive the sins of others against us? Forgiveness flows from faith that God is good and that He will fulfill His promises and His purposes. Now, a person's last words often reveal what matters to them, and Joseph's Last words in verse 24 echo those of his father Jacob. Joseph says, I'm about to die, but God will visit you and bring you up out of this land to the land that he swore to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. You'll notice how Joseph shares his father's faith. Like Jacob, Joseph is about to die without seeing God's promises fulfilled. Genesis is a story of God's faithfulness to generations of grace who pass on the faith from one to the next. So Joseph, like his father, also makes burial arrangements for, in the Promised Land. He says to his brothers uh, in verse 25, God will surely visit you and you shall carry up my bones from here. Abraham, Isaac, Jacob and Joseph all died in faith. You know, remember the, the promises that God made to Abraham way back in Genesis 12? You know, he promised to make Abraham a great nation. Well, not quite, right? So at this point, there are a lot of people in, in Jacob's family, but maybe not quite a great nation. Uh, God had promised Abraham in Genesis 12 that he would uh, give him the land. Well, not quite, right? I mean, because they're, they're all dying in Egypt, they're not in the land. And God had also promised Abraham in Genesis 12 that he would bless the nations through one of Abraham's descendants. Well, he did so you know, for, for a time. He did bless the nations through Joseph, one of Abraham's descendants. But now Joseph is about to die. What's going to become of that promise of blessing to the nations? What's going to become of God's promises? So as we get to the end of Genesis, we realise that Genesis is an incomplete story. At its close, God's promises remain unfulfilled. But the patriarchs ended well because they were confident that God would faithfully fulfil his future purposes in his time. You a popular saying Sid puts it this way, everything will be alright in the end. If things are not alright, then it's not yet the end. So tell yourself that this week. Abraham, Isaac, Jacob and Joseph knew that this was not the end. Their death was not the end. They had a hope that extended beyond the grave to a future salvation when God would visit his people and come to save them. Beloved, we are in a far better position than all these patriarchs. We live in an age of fulfillment we have the benefit of hindsight because we can look back to how God has already kept his word in Israel's exodus from Egypt. So for example, Exodus 2 tells us that God heard the groaning of Israel in Egypt and he remembered his covenant with Abraham, with Isaac and with Jacob. Then in Exodus 13, uh, we read these words. Moses took the bones of Joseph with him For Joseph had made the sons of Israel solemnly swear, saying, God will surely visit you and you shall carry up my bones with you from here. And then at the end of Joshua, the end of the book of Joshua, it says this, As for the bones of Joseph, which the people of Israel brought up from Egypt, they buried at Shechem. Hundreds of years later, after Joseph first said those words, they finally buried his bones in Shechem. Isn't that amazing? Now we look back on all these accounts of God's faithfulness and we should trust God to fulfill his future purposes. Well, more on this next year, we'll be preaching through the book of Exodus, the, the sequel to Genesis, so we'll come back next year. <laughs> well, but, but now you know, we can look back on something even greater than the Exodus from Egypt. We can look back on how God himself has already come. God has visited his people. We began our service this morning with Zechariah's words in the New Testament. Zechariah, the father of John the Baptist, he says this in Luke's Gospel, chapter 1, "'Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he has visited and redeemed his people.'" I believe Zechariah is thinking about all those promises years ago in Genesis, the words of Abraham, the words of Jacob, the words of Joseph. And Zechariah sees the birth of Jesus as promises kept, as purposes fulfilled. God has visited his people. How? By sending his son, by coming in the flesh. And beloved, we can look back on that. We can see that God has been faithful to us. Jesus is the promised king. He is the one who is the lion from the tribe of Judah. Why do we need him to come? Because sin has separated us from a holy God. But this Jesus, the servant king, he brings blessing to the nations. How? By laying down his life, To take on himself God's judgment so that we who trust in him might be forgiven and brought back to God. He is the one who gives us hope, real hope. He rose from the dead in victory over sin and death. And now he holds himself up to us saying, Trust me, trust me, he is the fulfillment of God's promises, he is the fulfillment of God's purposes. And beloved, in Christ alone, we need not fear death. Because He has conquered the grave, we can be assured of ending well if we trust in Him. And we, we saw a picture of this this morning in baptism. You know, when we see those two individuals coming up from the water, that's a sign of resurrection. And that sign points us forward to our bodily resurrection in the new heavens and the new earth. Like the Old Testament patriarchs, we live in the gap between promise and fulfillment. We know life in a fallen world is tough. We will struggle with our own sin, with the sins of others, with suffering, with sorrow. The years of our life are brief, as Moses says in Psalm 90. We bring them to an end like a sigh. We die in weakness. You know, as a pastor, I have a chance to be at deathbeds, uh, at funerals. And, and that's the same pattern throughout, right? We, we all die, not in strength, but in weakness. But like Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and Joseph, we, we trust in Jesus. We have hope that extends beyond the grave, we can look forward with faith that God will visit us again. That Jesus is coming back. You know, the story that began all those years ago in Genesis will come to a glorious conclusion in the Bible's last book. Beloved, we are still in this same story. Genesis may end with a coffin in Egypt, but beloved, Revelation ends with eternal life in the new heavens and the new earth. And he says these words, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, no more funerals, nor crying, nor pain anymore, no more sin, no more need for repentance. For the former things have passed away. Beloved, this is our hope. Genesis points us to this hope that extends beyond the grave. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. Let's pray together.